പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ ഒരക്ഷരം മിണ്ടരുത് Hi Harsha, how are you this week? I am wonderful. It's been a while since we've recorded uh, as we were just discussing. So we had started last time talking about sort of supernatural in Malayalam cinema and we're back with another episode of that with a couple of films that explore two different traditions today. Yeah, we are talking about Ezra which is uh, based on the Jewish religious folkloric idea of the dibuk and we're talking about uh, a movie that alternatively has been titled Sarpakava uh, or Sarpakada Sarpakava means snake grove uh, religious grove typically where there's an uh, idol or a deity to worship uh, or Sarpakada which just means snake forest so if people are looking for this movie you you should uh, Google tends to find Sarpakada before Sarpakava but the title credits at Sarpakava. Yeah, and I was going to ask you what the difference was because depending on how I searched was how I find it. And I would also recommend don't watch the version on Eros because it has about 15 minutes where the video is blurry and they cut out a big segment of the film. So actually maybe we want to start with that one today. Yeah, um so Sarpakava or slash Sarpakada. I'm going to call it Sarpakava cuz that's the name I knew it uh when I watched it when I was really young. It's from 1965 and it's one of those movies that that used to get played on Doordarshan or like when Ishana started on Ishana all the time and I'm sure that a lot of people probably just turned off the TV because it was black and white. <laughs> For some reason this uh you know th- that's what I used to do uh, or change the channel. What about this movie Kami was like Sugumari as a young per- woman was I recognized her face and I was just like, "Oh, yes. I, I like kind of started watching it and I got into the story." So as I mentioned this movie stars Sugumari as the second heroine and Ambika Sugumari their cousins in real life but they play sisters in this movie and i'm just going to jump in briefly and say first of all warn people that i watched without subtitles so i have a sort of a surface understanding and hopefully you'll help me learn more and also spoilers i also forget to say that we talk about spoilers i put always put it in the show notes but spoilers so go watch the films not on eras <laughs> find the copy on youtube that's where i watched it i watched it on youtube so the whole point of this story there is a supernatural element to it but actually a lot of this is about tradition versus modernity the central conflict is between the father of the heroines who is a traditional snake who are part of a clan that like traditionally worship snakes i mean that's not uncommon in kerala uh, they have exoticized it a little bit in this movie and then the father of the hero Uh, the hero and the, his father are both doctors and scientists who come to the the forest that the heroine lives in looking for a antidote to snake bite so they're looking for this very special snake i mean this is something we talked in the last episode too this juxtaposition of traditional beliefs and sort of modern and sciency stuff so i was quite fascinated by seeing that turn up again and quite honestly this is a film i actually went searching for years ago because the online blogging community used to do a snake movie month 
And at the time when I went looking, I could only find like one song from it. So even without subtitles, I was kind of glad to get a chance finally to see it. So I think like a lot of, you know, the blogging community is kind of familiar with snakes and snake worship in, in India. But you're right, it does seem to have a little bit of a, a twist in Kerala. Yeah, you know, snakes are not often the central day. The, uh, the Kuladeva, which is like the family god of a lot of Hindus, is often not a snake. But in Nair families, especially in Kerala, uh, Kuladeva is, is, is a snake and they have these um, these groves, the Sarpakava. Uh, where the deity is is the snake that they worship. So there's this in the religious iconography. There's um, uh, Sri Padmanabha, the the god that Trivandrum is named after, is floating on a snake in on a big snake in the ocean of milk that is supposedly the universe. There's a lot of snake motifs in Kerala and specifically in Nair households. I think a little bit more in Kerala. And, you know, when you read Dalit writers about uh, Dalit religious observances or scheduled tribe religious observances, you realize uh, what is happening a lot of the time is extremely localized and non-Brahminical. So not like Vedic Hinduism, the, the extremely mainstream like Shiva Krishna Brahma Hinduism. That Hinduism has kind of co-opted and weaved in uh, many local and village gods that animistic traditions that are present to making Hinduism a national religion was a project of many, many millennia. So a few millennia ago, these people who worshipped snakes would not have considered themselves Hindus. Obviously, Hindu is not even a self-identification until very recently. It's a, it's a word that comes from Arabs who talked about the people who lived past the end of server. So the, these are animistic beliefs that you see in Kerala and, and you know, animism is very common in the northeast parts of India and, and they don't necessarily get called <laughs> Hinduism in the same way that Kerala because, you know, it's kind of become part of the mainstream Hindu culture gets included even the animistic beliefs that are not part of mainstream Hinduism. And that's something cool about Hinduism is that you can kind of start grabbing traditions from all sorts of ethnic groups and make it yours. But I know a lot of Dalit thinkers are not keen on all of these ideas becoming considered Hinduism because they want to have separate identities and to be able to worship their village gods without being considered Hindus as such because caste plays a huge role in the way South Asians look at Hinduism. That's a long-winded way of saying that, basically, uh, th these traditions are highly specific to the various parts, uh, the various villages, the various families that, that worship snakes. So the family we're looking at in the film, the father and his two daughters, is this a family snake grove that they manage? That is what I understood. He says at some point this was a very thriving area and it seemed like that this was his clan or whatever. His, his people lived in harmony with nature and, and they never had to fear animals. And that things have, it seemed like he was saying that modernity had kind of encroached and made them kind of isolated and just this family of three people who are responsible for taking care of the snake goddess and her sort of worship 
And specifically, he talks about the doctors bringing guns into the forest as being something that sets off nature um, against humans. Well, and that does happen in the course of the film. One of my favorite scenes is the one with that giant flower with the eye in the center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, on some level, it's, it's kind of a silly segment. I mean, it's one of the things when you go back to like early films from the 50s and the 60s, it really feels like a much more innocent time and a much more innocent kind of humor and a much more innocent kind of fear. And I was sort of fascinated with how they shot that whole segment with Maru and Adur Basi getting caught in the vines. And it, they they end up rescued by the two sisters who know what they have to do, which is, you know, stab a knife into the eye of the flower. And it just sort of falls over dead. I'm, I'm not trying to say, you know, to laugh too hard at that because it's very it's very gentle and old-fashioned but it's also an important point in in the film that they're there with their and they're waving their gun gun around and they're there specifically to get this snake that lives in the snake grove where the worship is taking place and they're not really very thoughtful about how they're doing that they just have this idea that they want us to you know create a, a snake anti-venom thing because the film opens with somebody dying of a snake bite. Yep, and they're dressed in very much uh, in old-fashioned like safari gear, like cravats and in like a little upturned hat. It's very similar. And then the girls and like the father are in this extremely Vedic looking outfit. He's got like a top knot, like a Rishi Muni type, like a, the sages of uh, represented in old time Omar Chitragada type depiction of, of the Vedas and, and the Hindu epics. He looks like he's from another time. And then like this guy, the the doctors are dressed like like l- little Lord Fauntleroy's. <laughs> well, Madhu in particular, like he's got yeah. the, he's got the fanciest safari suit and <laughs> and the boots with detailing. They 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 look sort of. Uh, cowboy boots with the kind of detailing on them and yeah so he's very elegant until the end when the when all the ties come undone and there's you know when we're talking about that vine scene uh, mother's just like rolling around (laughs) (laughs) i mean there isn't like a huge amount of suspension of disbelief or going along with the ride that is more innocent i agree (laughs) because i'm sure like in the youtube comments people were arguing in Malayalam about whether this movie was good or not. And like somebody said, this is so boring. Um, <laughs> and then the other person said, but don't you enjoy the innocence of this movie? And they were like, no, it's just boring and badly acted. Well, and it's up, it, it is of the time. It is very much of the time. And so what we consider bad acting was just their theatrical form of acting. Yes. Madhu especially was not known to be a naturalistic actor. He is known to be a theatrical actor. And Ambika Sugman, too, uh, it, you know, she kind of reminds me of Sheila in the same way that she kind of stares up at the <laughs> camera and just like plaintively delivers her lines. Sugumari has a bit, I mean, as we know from having seen her in much more recent films, she has, she even then, she had a much more realistic way of acting, even though if. Though the dialogue was a little stilted in that theatrical sense, she was delivering it much more. 
naturally in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, even Madhu with his, uses his hands to sort of emphasize things. And, and you're right. It's very much comes out of theater tradition. And even you look at Hindi films from the same period and people were coming out of theater and, you know, working in film and you get the same kind of dialogues and dialogue delivery and the same kind of sort of stiff body language, which I get, you know, would not be appealing to some people today because, you know, things have come so far. But, you know, even, you know, we can laugh a little bit at the vine scene or there's a scene later where, you know, Madhu is wrestling with a snake and it's like very, very acting, very acting. There's also the bear attack scene. Yes. The person in a bear costume. <laughs> that was that was funny. And like, I genuinely like was laughing. I mean, I know you're not supposed to be laughing, but I had a good time watching that yes. the scene. So if you want to have a good time, I would look at all the uh, for nature attack scenes in this movie because they are kind of fun. Oh, God. And was it this? Yeah, it was this film where there's this long segment where there's a bird attacking a snake and it just goes on and on and on. Um. Okay, so I will be honest, like every time they cut to the snakes, I was zo- a little bit zoned <laughs> out. I was like, cool, the snakes are doing something now. I'm going to like uh, like look at my phone. So it, it might be this movie, but I don't remember that scene. And I might, yeah, I just might be confusing because I watched a lot of snake stuff this week. Oh, you did? What else yeah. have you watched? Um, I was actually watching an old, actually, maybe that's where it is. I was watching an old Telugu movie that had a snake. See, because like, it was like snakes all over this week. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that scene from this movie. Yeah, and in, uh, the, the other thing with the Ross print was they cut out the bear attack. Oh, the bear attack was great. You should definitely like check it out on the YouTube. Uh, yes. <laughs> like I was so I was so grateful that I that I switched. I, I went searching and that's that's where I got caught out because I didn't search on the other way to spell it in, you know, anglicized. Yes. Yeah. And when I reversed that, I got, I found it on YouTube and started watching there a second time through. And I went, that's why she disappeared. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it does happen like at the tail end and then like things change very quickly. For, I mean, like that's where the climax happens. So things pick up at that point because uh, a lot of the time they're uh, the mid of the movie, the comedy scenes, man, like the, it's just like there's that one bit where he like swallows the harmonica. And, oh, God. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and that, was, that was the bit where there were no visuals on Eros. Okay. So I was going, what was going on here? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I laughed at that <laughs> when I saw it on YouTube. <laughs> it's very silly. Those scenes I can definitely see being great for children to watch. Like, yes. it's a very silly, like, cartoony comedy. Yeah, so there, there's, like, extended scenes between, like, the housekeeper or of the, like, the, the guest house the doctors are staying at and... Hyun, who is, uh, Carla is called a compounder. He's kind of like their assistant who helps, who's trying to help catch the snakes. And also wooing Sugmati's character, but he gets beat up by her dad and, and has to swallow his, like, harmonica. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, on, on the other hand, it's an interesting contrast because at one point he's using the harmonica to try and mesmerize the snakes. The snake snake charm, yeah. So there's a purpose to the harmonica. Okay, one question I did have, because again, going in at it without subtitles, when 
that character is attacked by the bear and they take her to the doctors and she dies. Is it because the father refuses to treat her or he can't treat her or it's just too late? He tries to bargain for the snake with okay. her dad and her, her dad says no. So he lets her die. Okay, I, I, that's exactly what I thought happened. So then it makes an awful lot of sense why her father goes after Madhu's character. Yeah. And targets him to be bit by the snake. So then why is he willing at that point to help save Madhu's character? His daughter pleading for his life convinced him. Again, that wasn't a very super strong plot point because it was very clear uh, before that she was in love with the guy. Her dad didn't pick up on that. I thought he kept finding his daughter with Madhu and Adur and... Yeah, so towards the middle of the movie, I feel like he's uh, very certain that like, his daughters are spending a lot of time with these guys. And I feel he's like trying to protect them against being charmed by these guys. And he thinks that they're going to charm them and like make them fall in love with uh, them and then run off with the snake or try to get access to the okay. snake. So maybe that's what why he realizes their love is true or something and he does warn her that when if what she's asking requires a great sacrifice and then that something bad will happen but well and he ends up the great sacrifice is he ends up dying yes because when you take out the poison it has to go uh, go somewhere i'm i'm actually amazed how much i get out of movies without subtitles like quite honestly Very good. I, th- I keep thinking am i making this up because this is how i want the plot to go but there's that moment, too, at the end where the snake goes to bite the father and Madhu throws himself in front of them. It's like, there, he's gallant. Are there any other snake movies or movies in which snake worship form an important part? Because when I went looking, this was like pretty much the only one I could think of. In Malayalam cinema? Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of too many. I'm trying to think, does Anandabadram have any snake worship bits? I feel like that's the one movie maybe I suspect could have some snake worship elements. But then it is also, yeah, I mean, I, I have to remember, but I, I don't, um, I remember Anandabadram having a lot of like overlapping themes of like sort of out of mainstream worship traditions and stuff like that. I wish at some point somebody would subtitle this one. I that goes into my my list of things I would like to see with subtitles even if I get as much as I can out of it without. Because I actually liked the songs, they were pretty. Yes, they were. Yes. And well, you know, I'm a sucker for if you're going to do a contrast between modernity and tradition, I like I like films that that play with the clash that happens there. I love old films. So for me, this was, I, I enjoyed it. As you said, it's it's old fashioned and it's a little naive and it's, you have to buy into, you know, stylistically what's going on at, at that time, but I still found it fairly entertaining. And the, the something I, I mean, other than the bear attack scene that I enjoyed, that was just pure enjoyment for me. I also had pure enjoyment for the dancing with, the two sisters that was it was really well done and very nice to watch because these actresses of that generation were really they, they came up with classical dance so 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 Gumari, that family especially 
family of the Crown Court sisters, and they had within their family. So, so it, I, that was that was really good, and I thought um, it was fun to see Sugumari in a very young role. She's not playing a mother or an aunt or anything like, or a sister. She's just playing, just playing like a second heroine. It's very nice to see her when she was that young. Yes. Yeah, for me too. And I I recognized her right away as well. And and that's another joy for me of going back and watching these old films is seeing people who I've seen, you know, who are now elderly, or in her case, she's she passed not too long ago, if I recall, and be able to see these people when they were much younger and doing not more interesting things, but roles more appropriate to, to being that young. So that's yeah. also that's also a nice choice. So, you know, if anyone wants to take a chance on unsubtitled on, on YouTube, I think it's worth a watch and worth thinking about. I would say from my understanding of that period, this is also a little bit different than a lot of the movies you would see of that era. You know, a, a lot of them are they're not uh, tackling the supernatural necessarily or or struggling with modernity. They're much more just like, you know, they're much more on a human level type movies is what I understand. This kind of cosmic level interplay is pretty uncommon for movies of that era. I'm just thinking of like all the Primazir movies I've seen and he's very much struggling on an individual basis. Like, you know, just like in a lot of movies, he's basically like getting revenge for his father's, like for a parent or something like that. So this is very different in that, um, in that context. Yeah, it is different from what I've and most of my most of my watching from that era are Premnazir films. So it is you're right, very different in that way. Let's move on to Ezra, which also is quite interesting in what it sets out. It's from 2017, so it's a much slicker film in some ways, but it's not particularly great in my opinion. It's got Prithviraj playing sort of the lead character. And it's, it has Priya Anand playing his wife. And Tovino Thomas as, as a police inspector. This is kind of Tovino Thomas as he's becoming the superstar he is now. So it's from 2017. Like 2016, he did In the Ninde Moedin. And 2017, he's, he's worked with Pitiraj a couple of times since then. It's also got Sudev Nair, who was a Kerala State Award winner for one of the first same-sex romances in film. So Sudev Nair is a... He's not had a lot of Malayalam movies uh, come out, but he's, he's a good actor. And I really... That, that, those were the, that was a part of the movie that I really liked, the flashback to the past. Me too. And it's quite funny because I was reading a couple of reviews and they commented that the film suffers from you know the curse of the second half and I went no the second half is the best part yes the second half is the is the much better part of this film it sends Kochi in the milieu of the last Kochi Jew dying and so that sets off a chain of events that and Prithiraj and Priyanan's characters moving from Mumbai to Kerala sets off this chain of events that starts the haunting by a Dibuk which is um, sort of this evil spirit in Jewish lore. Yeah, and often a spirit that has died in a way that makes it unable to move on in the afterlife or in need of some kind of revenge. I knew about, you know, the Jews in Cochin, and there was, um, what's her name, Sarah Cohen, who was, had been featured a lot of times. She ran an embroidery shop 
Um, and she also died very recently. But she did like all the embroidery for things that were required for, you know, Jewish ceremonies and this and that, and was looked after by a Muslim caretaker and a Christian cook who also started learning the business near the end of her life because she was she was like I think 98 or something when she passed away. So I'm aware sort of of this community in Kerala, but we don't tend to see a lot of their stories, a lot more Christian stories in Kerala than Jewish ones. So for me this was interesting to see this kind of mythology play out in the film. Yeah, I mean, just population-wise, there's always been a ton more Christians in Kerala than Jews, but um, most of the Jews made Aliyah to Israel yeah. after the founding of the state. But if you look at, you know, the clothing, oh, it, it, there's a lot of similarities between the Abrahamic faiths in Kerala. So everybody kind of wears like the similar kind of patterned uh, top and like they wear the similar type of munda underneath their uh, top. So uh, you, you'll see uh, Jewish women cover their hair in a, in a different way than, than Muslim women, but everybody kind of covers their hair in an, to a certain extent. So there's a lot of syncretism between the, the Abrahamic faiths, especially around the Kuchir. So you mentioned, you know, sort of a series of events taking place. And we've got the death of the last Jew in Kerala fictionalized in this film. Yeah, there are still a couple of Jews left in Kerala. Yeah, yeah. There's somebody who I was checking up on Instagram. And what happens is this antiques dealer manages to get the Dibuk box out of the house. And Prithviraj's wife, who, this, this was the little bit that sort of ate at me because she's upset at having to leave, you know, family and friends in Mumbai, understandably. And sort of the way she goes to fill her time is to go shopping for antiques. She is an interior designer. She so is. She, she is. Has a, she, I mean, interior designing as a job is a very Bollywood job. So no, yeah. women in Malayalam cinema typically do not have that job. I've only ever seen women with that job in Bollywood movies. But yeah, she's a very different kind of wife in Malayalam movies than you typically see. She's very much like a kept woman. Yeah. And when they're, when, you know, they're packing up their things to, to leave Mumbai, Ranjan Pritvaraj's character says to her, well, now's the time to start a family. This film does enough interesting stuff for me that I actually found it intriguing to watch through a second time after having seen things and then to go back and see how it was pieced together. Because it deals with like interfaith relationships. So Pritvaraj and Priya are a mixed faith couple which is also at the heart of the story behind Abraham Ezra, who gives the film the title that we find in, out in the second half, that he was a Jew secretly in love with a, a Christian girl. And once her family finds out about the relationship, they go after him. So in this movie especially, it is portrayed as a problem from the Jewish end rather than they're necessarily a problem from the Christian side. It seems, I mean, like the Jewish family is much wealthier than the Christian family, but also it's very clear that their intention is to, they're Zionists, so their intention is to go to the state of Israel once it's been well founded. Yep. The state is about to be founded. And so that means that there's no point in keeping ties with people here. And Abraham Ezra ends up dead. And he, his father, who practices Kabbalah, makes him into a debuk to wreak havoc on the country slash land that wronged his son. And that brings us back to the present day, 
here's where I do have problems with the film. Because if the idea that the book is going to possess someone, because that's the main point, that a book will escape the box and possess someone in order to avenge whatever happened or, you know, soothe their grudge. But what happens in the first half of the film when the box comes home, Priya sees an image of a, of a girl. So this is not the book. And things happen in the house where it makes you feel like there's a haunting rather than she's been possessed. So there are a lot of like little details that I kind of went, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me in, the, in how this particular thing is supposed to work. I actually would like kind of skimmed through the Hindi version as well. It's called a book starring Imran Hashmi. And so maybe the explanation is more clear in the Hindi version. Sorry, Nora in the Hindi version, Rosie, the, the girl Ezra is in love with, who also dies. Um, she commits suicide. She is trying to stop the book because she's trying to pull Ezra back. Okay, that wasn't clear to me. That wasn't clear in the Malayalam, but I think they definitely made it more clear in Hindi yeah, and I didn't watch the Hindi version, and I sort of debated, should I, should I not? It's very strange. It happens in Mauritius and the Reunion Islands, and everybody speaks Hindi. <laughs> well, I know people from Reunion, and they speak like a pidgin French <laughs> more than they, I mean, I, like some variation of Hindi and French than they do in straight up Hindi. Everybody just speaks Hindi, and it's odd that they placed it outside. Yeah. I, you know, going back to the second half, that's where things really, because you get this, this backstory set in the early 40s, which was very, you know, that was interesting how to tie it together. And although I, I'm trying, I'm a little mixed about the ending, because what, what they have to do is do an exorcism to try and get the book back into its box and dispose of the box in a way that will make sure that the book is not permitted to do what they need to do. A reminder about spoilers again, <laughs> because I didn't realize this the first time I went through, but when you go through the second time and you, you realize what happens is the book transfers itself into Prithviraj's character. And when you go back through the first half, you can see moments where Marquez, who's the son of the rabbi who Prithviraj goes to see, to ask questions about this, he's the one who's going to perform the exorcism. And there are little there are little details when you watch the camera angles on him and on Priya and on Prithviraj, where you understand that he understands that this transfer has happened. Mm -hmm. Because he tries to keep it a secret because he doesn't want to let the Dibuk be aware that he's aware that the Dibuk is now in Prithviraj. But I like the fact because to do this, as I understand it, you have to find the Dibuk's name, which they do. You have to understand why the Dibuk is doing what it wants to do. They find that out. And you have to perform the exorcism and you have to have 10 Jewish people at this, at the exorcism in order to, to participate in it, in order for it to be successful. And it's a little corny that they go out and find 10 Jewish tourists I mean, so this is apparently, so uh, watching a little bit like documentaries about like how synagogues in Kerala work now, oftentimes that's what they do. They find, uh, because you you need uh, 10 Jewish men, I think, to, to perform any prayers. So th that's what happens at synagogue is that they wait for the tourists to come and ask them to come on 
on holy days to to perform. So I think that is at least like a little realistic is that they just found some random Israelis like backpacking across Kerala and was like, please come do us an exorcism. Yeah. But but as you say, I mean, it, on the one hand, it might seem a little like, oh, sure, convenient. Let's just find <laughs> the tourists. But it does show that, you know, the filmmakers were trying to at least adhere to some kind of proper sense of how this, these things actually happen. You know, I saw Anupama Chopra's review of the book, and she compared it to Ezra a lot. And she seemed to think that Ezra was a higher quality film. I don't know about all that. The comments said she was just sucking up to print the edge, so which might be <laughs> true. But so th- there's definitely like, this movie definitely exoticizes Cochin Jews in a way that feels a little icky to me. I mean, I can think of only like Gramophone had some Cochin Jews. There was a recent movie about another like a Muslim Jewish romance also that came out. It's called Kapiriturita. So that was another romance about uh, that had Jewish people in it. But yeah, there's only a couple of Manel movies that have Jewish people in it. And this definitely, I think just because of the mystical elements, definitely exoticizes it more than others. And also they gave the rabbi um, blue eyes, Marquez, like famously blue-eyed people, Jewish people. And there was some sketchiness about it. And the fact that there was like a rich Jew trying to take over the world, Abraham Ezra's dad. There's a lot of like blood libelish issues with this movie that I think just because they're Indian and they're not necessarily aware of some of the European uh, anti-Semitism, they might have just accidentally played into it. Like I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, the filmmakers. Yeah, but, and the thing is, anytime you end up, I'm thinking of Grandmaster 2, which had a Christian religious and ended up, like I was cringing, you know, at how they presented it. So I think anytime they're trying to get into some kind of supernatural or people with, you know, mental issues, because I think that was the case in, in Grandmaster, you end up pulling at all of these tropes that don't necessarily accurately reflect the religion. Well, and Kabbalah too is, you know, is not mainstream Judaism either. I only know about it because Madonna supposedly practiced it for a bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this, the whole, they call it black magic in the film, but it is, it is more a mystical tradition. I think it's a bit bit comparable to Sufism rather than black magic. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, at least you're getting representation from a community and and an ability to go out and learn more. Because I I ended up doing a lot of reading to try and understand more about what was going on. I have like a very rudimentary knowledge. So it for me, it was an opportunity to to go and, and learn a little bit more. One of the things I just picked up on, it was cute, kind of cute to learn, was what did uh, like Cochin Jews call their father? They called him Baba, which is a bit like the reverse of what Muslims call their dad, which is Wapa. And, uh, it, you know, like it, it was it was interesting, like that he had done some from research into the culture and the local traditions. And that was definitely interesting. The song in the middle of the flashback was really haunting. Yes. The Hindi version did not have that song, which I think really took away from that part of that movie. But I really like that song. and It was very sweet and haunting. And the, there was definitely scary bits in this movie. The part with the dog was 
Not great. Oh, God. For people who are really sensitive to violence against animals, there are some dark this movie. Because the point with the dog is they they move into this house and they meet these neighbors who have a dog. A black lab that Priya, the Priya character, really befriends. Yes, and really connects with. And then the dog, when they when they meet them a second time after Priya has been, or Pritvaraj, I can't remember at which point. It was the, yeah, Priya, as in the baby inside Priya, not necessarily yes. even Priya itself. Yes. Well, and, and that whole thing where Pritvaraj goes to talk to the rabbi and he's like, oh, these are just stories. Don't worry about it. And then he gets the phone call in the middle saying that Priya is pregnant. And all of a sudden that shifts everything. I was like, well, if it wasn't important before, why is it important now? Because it, it's convenient to the story. Well, yeah, I'm not sure exactly when Judaism considers a person to have had a soul or something, but I think it had some role to do with the fact that maybe the fetus was like an empty vessel for the spirit to possess because I think Jewish tradition believes the soul does not start on the baby quickens or starts moving or stuff like that. So I, I, those are uh, things I was like tying in from my understanding of limited understanding of Judaism. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there are things to be careful of in the film. I'm trying to decide how I feel about the end because they go through the exorcism. And on the one hand, I Part of my brain was going, okay, this is kind of neat the way they've done this. And part of my brain was going, oh, this is so corny. When he starts violently attacking people in the middle of the exorcism? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and he and Prefer shoots up in the chair and he's hanging in the air. and This is not a great acting movie for Prithviraj. Oh, God, <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen Prithviraj act in something good. It's just, he's, he's not a flexible actor. And... Every movie, like when he does lovey-dovey scenes with his wife, I am uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I was, the, the second watch, I was fast-forwarding to a, through a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. I, and I can't even tell you why I am uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, this man cannot be a sexual being because it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, everybody who watched Aya is going to disagree with you. <laughs> all the putting out of the feelings was from Ronnie's side, right? Yeah. Like, all he had to do was brood, and he's amazing at brooding. But, like, when he worries about his wife or when he's the, they're canoodling right after they move into the house, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there. That's, I feel exactly the same way. And you're right. I can't pinpoint what it is that's making me uncomfortable, but I'm definitely uncomfortable. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that same way about Mamuti, but I feel like in roles where he does need to be romantic, he can somehow, some part of him can calm down and be in that intimate moment. But Prithiraj hasn't like that skill to like make his stoicness into something that can be intimate. I don't know how to describe it, but I was also was watching a little bit of Argyaravan and, and there are scenes when at the end where Mamuti gets to be romantic and I'm like, oh, th this is believable. It's, you know, I haven't seen Mamuti in like a romance romance role where he isn't like half doing comedy for a while, but he is actually can be believable in romance in a way Pithraj has not yet cracked. The clock is ticking. <laughs> yeah, he's almost 40. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, he'll he'll go back to playing cops and that will. Yeah, I mean, that's that is his wheelhouse. He he can't go wrong playing cops. 
I, I one of the roles I really enjoyed him in is he he won a state award. Oh, Boston. That's where he, yes, he has like a sincere romance, but he's kind of, a lot of the romance, he's, he's actually like trying to use the woman played by Cynthia Man. And I, I felt like those were some of the more convincing roles, right? The kind of lack of believability works in those kind of roles. So maybe he should lean into like being a user of women type. <laughs> well, and we talked in Nandanam too about how, you know, trying to romance ended up uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't want him to romance. <laughs> yeah, we don't want him to romance. But we also like get tired of him playing cops. So <laughs> what to do? What is Prithviraj like a solution as an actor? Yeah, it's not that he's a bad actor. Of course he's not. He's just not a very moldable actor. And it is, I mean, you mentioned Tavino Thomas, and it was, I had forgotten he was in the film. And it's a really small role. But it is sort of fascinating to see him have that really tiny role and to see now, I, I always find it fascinating to, to watch someone's career kind of just blossom like that, from lots of tiny, tiny roles to all of a sudden, they're the thing, you know? Full respect to Prithviraj, because I think he's really supported Tavina Thomas in his journey to startup. And I think he tried to do the same thing for Unimug. And then at the start, it's just Unimug isn't as talented as Tavina Thomas. So yeah. and so even like when I've seen them do interviews with Prithviraj and Tavina Thomas, they really get along and they have um, a kind of similar worldview. It's just in movies, Tavina Thomas is much more of a flexible actor than Prithviraj. But, you know, they, they are both, they both started off really young and they're both very conventionally handsome in a, in a very similar way. So I can see that they could have almost have been up for the same roles and stuff, but Prithviraj was definitely a generous senior actor to him. So I don't think I have much more to talk about today. Yeah, I don't either, but maybe I'll talk about a little bit about the Hindi uh, version of the, the book. The big difference I noticed was in the 1940s bit. Imad Shah plays um, Ezra in the movie, and Nasruddin Shah's son. And in that movie, they definitely made it a much more of a... So like in Ezra, Abraham Ezra definitely comes off as a little bit of a user. <laughs> like he definitely takes advantage of what seems like a younger girl. He does say he is in love with her, but when his dad says no, he's like, I guess not. And he seems to be aware that she did commit suicide, but it doesn't seem like he's done to like, he's done anything about, you know, maybe rectifying things with her family. So when he dies, I didn't feel super sad <laughs> about him dying. I was like, that guy kind of had it. But in the Hindi version, Imad is appears much younger than uh, Nair on on screen, and the girl and him seem kind of the same age. So they it looks much more like a teenage romance. And when his father, like it's much more explicitly said, his father locked him up so he couldn't go see her. And when the people come after him, he has no idea why they're coming. so. He seems much more of an innocent in the Hindi version, and you kind of understand his anger a lot more like the, as the spirit there's a lot of things in the hindi version that are much more explicitly detailed the story is a little bit more defined and, and that makes sense right because he's having the same director is having a second uh, chance at telling the story so if there are some things that you don't understand in ezra there are, it's explained in the hindi version a lot better 
Okay, now I wish I had watched it before <laughs> before we started recording. I will have to go in and, although now I'm thinking, do I really want to go through this story again? Maybe I'll give it some time. Yeah, I mean, you can do what I did, which is like skip through the bits where you had like, that's not quite clear. Let me go through the Hindi version. And and I think the uh, rabbi is not as hokey. In the, in the Hindi version, he just he just seems like a more normal dude. Well, and in the the Malayalam version, Prithviraj's job is important because yes. he works at a nuclear waste treatment company. Yes, and the idea is that the Dibuk ends up in him because they're going to do something with the nuclear waste and wreak havoc on everybody. Again, like I didn't get. Why you had to have revenge on people who weren't even connected to the event? But like, I'm not a spirit, so what do I know? Again, those are the things where I thought the idea of the blood libel kind of comes in because he's not just wreaking havoc on people; he's wreaking havoc on a whole land. The Jew is not of this people; he is of a different people, and that those are things where I was like, this is, this is anti-Semitic. <laughs> and, and so go in with your eyes open about what this movie uh, can imply. Yeah, uh, because uh, the Jew as the outsider definitely comes into play here. I mean, the, definitely the rabbi character is on the side of good, etc. He's he's not he you know at the end they humanize him a little bit because he said he's going to come visit. The new baby. But yeah, the, it's not it's not great. It's not a good look. So you know, if we want to sum up a little bit, we've got two films today that explore two different kinds of faith traditions, mythologies in very different ways, sometimes problematic ways. You know, there is some aspect of making a supernatural movie that exoticizes people from whom those traditions come and makes them a little bit like a curiosity rather than, you know, maybe one of us. And we've kind of dealt with some of the complicated ways that when you're doing um, snake worship, which kind of come from tribal and and maybe more localized Dalit or Dravidian traditions rather than Aryan traditions of India. You know, you, you end up... You, there's definitely, in that movie, they definitely took a side, which is the environmental people or the people who worship the snakes were the good people. But uh, they definitely made them not the mains. They kind of uh, made them a curiosity. And the same way Ezra, which definitely is a lot, lot more problematic in my opinion because... A, this is in some ways a tradition that is much, much uh, of more of a minority in India. So so you can't even say that we're just making a movie about traditions in my family. You know, we worship snakes. When you engage with a very small minority group and one that's been famously persecuted, that maybe that requires a little bit of thought before you engage with their supernatural traditions and, you know, make them the villain in the movie. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.